Today we're front porching with Ebony Walden. Uh, Ebony, can you just tell me in a few sentences a little bit about yourself? <laughs> sure. Um, I laugh because I gotta put myself in two sentences. <laughs> so let's try to do that. It's it's kind of hard because I'm pretty awesome. I'm just playing. <laughs> Um, so my name is Ebony Walden. I'm actually fairly new to Richmond. I've been living here uh, for two years, but the whole time in Churchill. Originally from uh, Queens, New York. Um, spent about half of my time in Queens and, and half of my time in Long Island. Mom's from Queens, dad mm -hmm. from uh, Long Island. Um, I went to Georgetown University undergrad, so I spent a bit of time in D.C. And then I've been a Virginian for the past 13 years um, and my background is in city planning that is my day job doing urban development redevelopment revitalization work and um, i'm a poet sometimes i'm a facilitator kind of consultant at other times i like to travel um, i took a trip around the world a couple years ago so kind of all over the place tell me a little about the trip um, why you took it and what are some of the places you visited Sure. Um, about seven years ago, um, I actually became a poet because I was hosting this open mic. So um, I was hosting this open mic, so I had to get people to come. So I was like it, mm -hmm. the, the advertising. And so because I was get, trying to get people to come, people assumed I was a poet. And I'm one of those people that see somebody, um, if I see somebody do something, I'm like, oh yeah, totally, I can do that. So I was really inspired by the people who got up um, on the stage every week, whether it was poetry, whether it was spoken word, or um, people um, sharing song, just the, them sharing their stories mm -hmm. um, and having their voices heard. And there were so many stories of trial and triumph and beauty and brokenness. People were really vulnerable, and I was inspired by that. So that's how I got to write poetry. And then somewhere along the line, a friend of mine, you know, I have all these, I'm like one of the gold people, check, check, yeah. bucket list. <laughs> I knew I wanted to travel. A friend of mine said, hey, I'm going on a around the world trip. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. Uh, so I end up going and he end up not going or not going continuously. And so I kind of took this idea. I was in the midst of, of writing poetry and listening to people's stories. And I was like, oh, I'm going to call it the Poetic Justice World Tour. I'm going to go to five different continents. I'm going to write poetry about it. I'm going to um, volunteer at schools, orphanages and community centers. Um, and I'm going to create poetry with people to sort of the world is my stage in a sense not me performing poetry, although I did that, but helping people to write down their stories and mm -hmm. to share them um, through poetry. So I did kind of one-on-one -on -one poetry, the same poem with different people in 17 different countries. Um, and then I did workshops, mostly with youth and a bit of performances. So, I mean, the lens was really giving people voice at that don't necessarily have voice and sort of turn the meaning of poetic justice to poetry as a means to bring justice or voice to people that don't that don't necessarily um, have it. And then, and then personally, I was just kind of looking to see what God was doing in the world. What um, what was He doing that was beautiful, and how is He springing forth and bringing life through those the broken places? So it's kind of my own investigation of that too. Yeah, I feel like it's really easy sometimes for us to assume life is only the, the life that we're living, but we don't realize that in other countries and other cultures, things are different. So I love that storytelling was a big part of what you did. Mm -hmm. um, and especially that you've named, it's a way for those that might not often have a voice to have a voice. So mm -hmm. what were some of the things those voices were saying? 
Oh, it's so funny. So I did this one poem, and so I went to, Gua quickly, Guatemala, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Peru, Spain, France, Italy, uh, Belgium, Holland, uh, England, Kenya, South Africa, China, Japan, and Australia. Hmm. So, and I tried to do like this script poem with folks and it was like where I was from. They, so they said like, what were the phrases they grew up with? What were the things that they had in their homes? What were joys and what were tragedies? What were their favorite foods? Pizza came up a lot. So, the, <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that was Good one thing people like internationally. And I think that I, what I learned and what I heard was um, just the triumph of the human spirit. I think that the things that people brought, that brought people joy were the same, like the birth of their children, or them uh, achieving some kind of accomplishment, whether it was a basketball tournament or uh, finishing school, something related to school or employment um, or family, or they were really proud of their kids. Like that was the, the moments that brought people joy were the same moments mm -hmm. or the same types of moments. And, and similarly, the, the, the tragic moments um, were obviously fairly universal as well. When, when uh, somebody uh, close to them died when disease or disaster or discrimination or um, some turmoil in their particular country was going on. Um, a lot of women or a couple of women, it was physical or sexual abuse that, that was happening. That was a theme. Um, so, but, but those things, I really learned that like, wherever you go, you know, the types of things that make people happy and the types of things that steal joy um, are the same and so in exploring that with people I really take took away of like wow how triumphant just the human spirit is yeah. to, to move through those and these are people overwhelmingly that had a smile on their face and were absolutely grateful um, for what they did have even mm -hmm. if it wasn't um, that much and people from a Christian perspective that were just um, I just had a lot of faith. Yeah. Um, there was this one woman that I met, um, and she lived in a, her story's long, but anyway, she lived in a slum, and she began, she felt like God spoke to her. And God said, you know, you're living here with your, with your kids, but there was a lot of uh, kids that were orphaned because of their parents. And this is in um, Kenya, in Kibera, which is like one of the largest slums in Kenya. A lot of kids were orphaned because um, their parents had died of HIV AIDS. So anyway, she felt like God had spoke to her and said, take in these kids. And she's like, I don't have any money. I don't have any space. Um, and so she decided to take in kids um, anyway. And years later, I was at her, um, with her at this house that, um, that volunteers had gotten for her to take care of all these kids she had accumulated over the years. And then I just thought she was just so full of faith because she was just like, I know God has something better for me. And she had a little baby in her hand and he was new to the orphanage. And she was like, you know, one day I was fixing his bottle and he was in the other room and he was crying. But he didn't know that I was preparing a bottle for him in the other room. And she was just like, that's how that's what God said to me. And she was like, we live day by day by the generosity of other people. And God told me not to worry or fret. And I know that he has something better for me. And that just sort of blew my mind away, yeah. right? Because I guess me and my American mentality, you know, the latter will be greater. You know, there's mm -hmm. going to be, you know, more coming to my life. But uh, someone who has to live day by day, maybe that isn't, doesn't seem so true, but it was absolutely true for her. And I was like, I want, I want that kind of faith. Mm -hmm. um, 
that when I have to live day by day, I know that God has something prepared for me, even if it's something very different than what I had for myself. So those kind of stories and those kind of experiences, I think that's the triumph of the human spirit and the, that people that just have um, remarkable faith um, and hope and trust and gratitude for things that I can learn from um, in my life. Yeah. What I love about stories like those is <clears throat> it says a lot about how people define their identity. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in America, a lot of times we define our identities by what job we have, how much money we make. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like what you experienced was a lot of people realizing it's not about circumstances, this and the other. It's like who God is and who I am in Christ. Um, I know in just talking with you too, that that, was, that tour was an opportunity for you to learn a lot about your own personal identity and how that fits in. Mm -hmm the greater context of the world. Tell me a little about that. Yeah, it was so interesting. I was actually writing last night, so on various levels, right? So traveling alone as a woman was its own unique experience. And so I was like hyper, like, I don't know that I was ever afraid, but like hyper vigilant mm -hmm. um, about being a woman and what that means and internationally how much of a burden that is. And I think that was really hard to, to know that to have a female anatomy is to be open and vulnerable to both physical and sexual abuse. And, and almost everywhere I went, that was really present for the, the women and girls um, that I was interacting with. It was present for me as a volunteer. Nothing ever happened and I was sort of never afraid. But when you walked out of the door, you knew something could happen. Um, and there's I mean, lots of things. So I think that one, here one in four women are um, abused um, sexually and so it's, it's even more internationally and so that was like really really in my face I got up every morning and that being a woman traveling alone was something I could never put down um, and then being a black woman has its own other interesting challenges I was writing an article or just my thoughts about traveling while black and it was interesting because in every country the culture the context have different um, connotations of what it means to be black, whether that's good or bad. In some places, um, there's negative connotations. Um, other places, more positive. But it was another thing that I couldn't put down, right? So I was, except in like Kenya and South Africa, I was the oddball almost everywhere. Um, so whether that was in Central and South America, people saying Morena, Morena, which is kind of like brown skin or dark skin girl, or like literally one day uh, I walked into school in Peru and kind of the, the recess of all of these kids was my first day stopped, like literally stopped and everybody turned around and then you can hear a pin drop. Then all these kids like surrounded me and wanted to touch me and wanted to touch my hair. And so that, that was like a crazy experience. And it was in other countries, it was like being a walking spectacle because everybody wanted a picture of me um, or wanted to touch my hair. Like, yeah. Um, locks um, or like an international phenomenon of people like oh how do you how do you do that what's going on with your hair and so touch and feel so it was like being a spectacle um, all the time um, but in some ways right being a dark-skinned african-american woman because internationally there's this real but made up sort of standard of beauty where I wasn't necessarily um, on the top of and people didn't necessarily associate me with being American 
Um, so I wasn't white and wasn't American, so people didn't necessarily assume I had one, uh, money. And because I wasn't white, there wasn't there's this like stereotype about white women being loose internationally. So those things weren't associated with me. And so in some some ways, um, that was good. And then and then other ways, I could never get sort of out of my skin, so to uh, speak, because it was it was always uh, very present. Well, and I think aside from that, you know, I left, you know, taking on the world and I came back just a lot more humbled person and I, my identity in a sense of, I guess I just learned how fragile I am as a human being that in an instant, like I don't really have much control. Like I went from trying to overplay my trip to at the end, I'm like, I just have to wake up and see what's gonna happen and respond to the day because I don't actually have a lot of control. And the more control that I try to assert over the situation, it, when, when I was traveling, the less fun I would have because nothing turns out the way that you want it to turn out. I mean, it's, and it was kind of a lot, right? It took me a lot of time to recoup because think about your craziest transition of like every day being different. And you're not knowing where you are, or the language and you kind of sticking out and that changing basically I changed countries I went to eight every three weeks so it was like I was on all um, of the time and I had to be present so one I think being present to the moment and just kind of trusting you got I just, I just had to trust life and it wasn't about you know bigger better faster it was about being present and it wasn't about trying to um, assume or accumulate all these particular accomplishments because the goal of the trips was to be present and to be there with people and be aware. So I just learned how to show up and see what was going to happen, right? Just be open. You might meet your new best friend or your mm -hmm. traveling buddy for the next two weeks. Or you might have a really conversa uh, really good conversation with somebody that deeply impacts you. The conversations I had with people around the world, I still remember vividly. Probably more, more vivid than some of the conversations I had today. And they were really life-changing, so I had to be open to that. I had to be open to um, interruption, mm -hmm. of interrupting my plans. And if, I don't know if that's a life lesson, then the, there isn't. And I think that my biggest takeaway take and it's sort of go back to what I was saying before, is that it's not about more accomplishment um, or creating a name for myself. And not that those things are bad things, mm. but I think that I came back with, like, life is really about love and relationships. If you don't have love and relationships, then you're not really living. Like, and that's, I, I wanted to reorder my life um, around community and relationships. Because I saw internationally, these people didn't have a lot of money. They weren't gonna be the next, you know, top of their law firm, owning their business, or maybe they weren't gonna own in their business and wasn't gonna make a lot of money. But they have deep and deep and rich relationships, and that really made them happy. Yeah. And so that was like, you know, can I have deep and rich relationships? Because I think that's what's ultimately going to make me happy. Um, and reordering my life around that, and just kind of uh, being a softer person, which probably I, <laughs> I still need to work on, but. Um, you know, doing poetry with people, yeah. talking about their lives. It was just like, it was really about seeing people and allowing people to see me. And so that's something I also I wanted to practice. I wanted to be seen and I wanted to be the type of person that other people um, would, would open up, um, you know, I see you seeing me. And so that was really profound because I sat down with just so many people and it was like, yeah. um, you kind of build a bond with people traveling that it would take a really long time. Um, and so 
I kind of wanted to be a person that had really deep presence um, with other people mm. um, that allowed them to be comfortable and for me to be myself. Yeah. You hit on some really important things I feel like that people miss about relationship. That relationship isn't just knowing somebody or mm -hmm. talking to somebody. It's like you said, being present, it's listening, it's being humble to know that somebody's story might be profoundly different than yours. And so even in what you shared today, I'm a white male. And so I, as a male, I haven't experienced what it's like to go into an area and feel like something could happen to me. Um, you know, being white, there are things that I haven't experienced because, you know, when I, like you said, if I walk to another country, somebody might assume I have wealth. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's really important for us to listen because the world is bigger than we think. <laughs> Other things that you learned while you were traveling, how do you think those can apply to here in America, to what we're experiencing today? Oh my gosh, I think that um, there's a total universal application, you know? I think that um, first and foremost, like you said, it's about story. And this is a case in point of like, how many people do you know that you cross paths with every day in your life, but you don't actually really know them. And so like, and not being nosy, but like making space for people to tell their story on their own particular terms. And so I like to ask people if I ever get them like interesting questions. And I was thinking about this. So I asked my mom the other day, or maybe a couple of weeks ago, it's like, what were, you know, some of the, the same sort of thing in the poem. What were some of your most joyful moments in life? And what were like some of your hardest? And she's like, my mom's like almost 60. She was like, whoa, nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, and she was moved by that because I was just really interested in getting to know who she was, even though she was my mom, right? And I've known her yeah. longer than I know anybody, but there's things about her that I don't know. And there's this depth and beauty in one another that we haven't explored. And I think that we sort of miss that in our culture. Um, and so I think that the act of sitting with people, sitting at their tables, around the, their tables, and, and asking questions, but also the, vulner the vulnerability of allowing, you know, I was blessed that so many people answered my questions um, and allow themselves um, to be seen. So can you be a seer and can you allow yourself to be truly seen? That doesn't mean you have to go be vulnerable to everybody, but I think that those are essential things of like, if you really ask somebody, you know, and you really want to listen, like people are like, oh my gosh, like you actually really want to listen to what? And it's also like you reflecting their personhood back to them. And they, and it seems like they always leave with a, with a greater sense of dignity because I've just reflected humanity back to them. So I think that one, I think that we, we would create more spaces for that. And from a, um, a cross-cultural perspective, I actually think, you know, there's a lot of um, systemic racism going on and, um, and there are a lot of um, injustices that need to be fought on a broader perspective. But on, uh, um, Michelle Alexander just said, she just left um, her post from, um, being a law school professor to go to seminary. And she was just like, you know, the type of um, thing that, that's happening here is a moral, spiritual dilemma. And these are not the conversations that are having, happening in, um, in like courtrooms or with law students. So I just wanna 
she wants to move to have a different conversation. And so I don't think it's either or, it's both and. Yeah. Like we, we do move to have a different conversation. And like, who are you? What do you bring to the table? Um, and how is that uniquely different? What I loved about both traveling and doing poetry and just talking to people in general, and what I loved about my open mic is there was space for stories to be heard. And you know, it, it wasn't combative stories to be heard. I was just like, this is my life experience and I can do it in a creative way. And you got your five minutes and we clapped and you sat down. And I feel like that was validating people and everybody played by the rules. So do we have those spaces where people can just tell their story? Because it's, I read this article today, it's just like the public shaming of like what is that uh, what's the end of that is that just to like shut somebody down or is it to open up dialogue and I think the arts can be used and storytelling are really ways in which we can open up dialogue and even if I don't agree with you I can see your shared humanity I think sort of the other things that I was saying of like reordering your life around you know uh, what matters if you it's like um, most people on their deathbed or businessmen are hugely successful uh, of people that are really successful, you ask them, what can you change? Almost invariably, everybody says, I would have spent more time with my friends and family. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the answer. And so why wait to your deathbed to do that? Spend more time with your friends and your family, your neighbors, community, and really see people um, and get to know them. And I would say, um, yeah, those, those things. And I loved, so I love art and the ability it has to bring people alive and bring communities alive. And so like art making is just us being creative and there's something that's, you know, the image of God sparked in us. And I think one is a good mechanism for, for dialogue um, and for, you know, kind of cross-cultural um, communication. Um, but it's also just very humanizing. So the extent to which we can create art and make art in our community. Um, there was an exhibit I went to in London, I think, and they took, and it was, I guess it was like this 10 year, I'm getting it wrong, war in Mozambique. And they had all these guns and I was like, what are we gonna do with all these guns? We need to get these guns out of our country. They killed like a million people. And I might be getting the facts wrong. But anyway, they took all these guns and they had a guns for tool thing. And it's like, give us your guns. Cause they were all like hidden in the country. We'll give you tools. And so they did that, but they took all these guns and they gave them to sculptors. And they created all these really beautiful sculptures. And one of them was in the British Museum and it was a tree of life. And it was made out of AK-47 that it actually killed people, but they dismantled them. So they were like trees and butterflies and insects kind of at the base of this really beautiful tree that um, is made of guns. So I think art has the ability to help us find our voice, but also help us change the story in a really physical way. So yeah. hopefully we engage in, in all those things. Yeah. Uh, one last question I have is how can, what are some things you think people should be praying for? Um, whether it's from what you saw around the world or just in light of what you saw, what you see now in, in the United States. For those who pray, how can they be praying? The things that came to my mind from my own experience is that we would see each other like across race and difference. Um, I think a, lots of things can be changed with laws and activism and systems and structures that need to be changed, and that's absolutely necessary. But a lot of it is like, changing the hearts of minds of people and that only could change through relationships through sharing through spaces um, where you can get to know the other right so i spent eight months 
as the other every single day, every minute of the day. And was very uncomfortable at times. So I had to get out of myself and I had to learn other people's stories, I had to learn their country, I had to learn their customs and try not to put on my like uh, judgmental eye, but just experience those things. And so I would say like, you need to get outside. If everybody in your circle looks like you, is the same socioeconomic status as you, you need to get out of that. Or even if you can't and you just go somewhere else and travel and get somebody else's perspective, both from the least of these to, you know, all the way up here, right? So I might have profound judgment against somebody who's like really, really rich. Well, I don't know them. Self-awareness is sort of understanding where your prejudice is, where your bias is. Because it's not really if you're racist or if you're prejudiced, it's just really how. So I wish in America we would just admit that. We would just kind of admit, like, it just is. So the question is how and how can we pay attention? So I think praying for us not to be defensive about that, but to us, the spirit of honesty to pervade our hearts and minds about how we're racist and how we're prejudiced. Because if we don't know that we are, we're still in denial then how can we ever move forward as a country? I would say second thing internationally is for the safety of our girls and our women, both at home and abroad. There was probably no other, other than poverty, just kind of abject poverty. It was another, no other thing that consistently around the world is like, women and girls are not safe. Yeah. Um, their person are not safe, their futures are not safe, you know, the same sort of educational opportunities. And so educating our, our uh, our girls and our young women and keeping them safe and making sure they have their, uh, the same rights and opportunities um, as men do internationally. That's just something like, oh, uh, like I just had some just crazy stories about like, it's just kind of in some places like, you know, rape is just like almost this expected yeah. thing. Um, and that's problematic. Um, so I would say those two things, just um, not pray, but act towards um, educational and opportunities for our girls and praying they're safe. And that we would just have the spirit of honesty about who we are as a nation yeah. and about what we are, um, both as a nation and, and as people from different perspectives. S spend some time as the other, and I think that it'll absolutely uh, change your perspective. So in, that, in those senses of the word, I think our prayers are actually actions. Um, and so I would pray that people would move to do something about um, either one or three of those, whether it's personally or on a broad scale, and those actions would actually be their prayers. Yeah, it's really good, really important. <laughs> um, well, Evan, thank you so much for just giving me some time to sit, and I feel like we really could have spent a half hour talking about each one of the places you visited, <laughs> but we don't have time for that. Um, but I also just appreciate um, you in general and how um, just the boldness in which you speak truth, whether it's through your spoken word or whether it's just talking with friends and others. Um, thank you. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I love the camera. Heaven's revelation, taking you away, get easy.